Proceed, please, and turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5. And we're back again in Luke. Uh, we're back again in Luke. We took a uh, long route from chapter 4 to chapter 5, but we're back. And I pray today that the, the Lord will speak to our hearts regarding uh, Peter and us in the light of God. Peter and us in the light of God. Read with me Luke chapter 5. We're going to go to verse 10. And um, I'm sorry, verse 11, and uh, we're going to focus on Peter and his response to the Lord. As the crowds were pressing on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret, and he saw two boats at the edge of the lake, and the fishermen had left them, and they were washing their nets. He got into the boats, which belonged to Simon, on one of the boats that belonged to Simon, and asked him to put it out a little from the land. He sat down and began to teach the crowds from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out a little deep in the water and let, it down, uh, let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked so hard all night long and caught nothing, but at your request, at your word, I will let down my nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear, so that they signaled to the other boats, uh, to the other partners in their boats, to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that it began to sink. They began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, depart from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those who were with them were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And some were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be fishers of men. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. This is a sequence of three miracles that Jesus is going to do that is not going to uh, have man as the center of the miracle. Uh, in the previous chapter, we saw that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, so she was the subject uh, of the, or the object of the, of the miracle. He's going to do three miracles that did not require man as the object. He is going to uh, the fish, here's in chapter 5. We have the storm being calmed in chapter 8, and we have Jesus multiplying the food in chapter 9. There's going to be a sequence of miracles where Jesus is now not going to be using men as the object of their miracles. actually going to use something else, but he's going to point to something about salvation, which we've learned that Luke has an incredible amount of messages about salvation, is replete with messages of salvation. It's the, it's the key theme in the book of Luke. But if you read verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5, we go to our first slide. It says that the crowds were pressing on Jesus to hear God's word, and he was standing by the lake Gennesaret, the lake of Gennesaret. This is the same lake that we read in the Gospels. It's called the Sea of Galilee. It's actually called the Sea of Tiberias in John chapter 21. John 21 calls it the Sea of Tiberias. It's the same lake. There are aspects of the lake in different names. Tiberius Caesar named it after himself. It's called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this part of the Sea of Galilee, it's the southwest part near Capernaum. And it's called the Lake Gennesaret. It it's, it's almost looks like a lake. It's actually uh, the Sea of Galilee. But the southwest part, it's only... Uh, uh, 13 by 18 miles, 13 by 18 miles, and it looks like a lake near Capernaum. 
And this is the part where Jesus, after he heals Peter's mother-in-law, goes to this place, and he's standing by the lake. And you can see there, beautiful place, beautiful, gorgeous area. And at the time of Jesus, it was a, a center of fishing industry. It was a fishing industry center place. And in fact, uh, many of the fish that uh, were used in, in Israel came from that area. In fact, the Roman Empire looked at it as a very important trading post. And a lot of people went, Romans, Greeks, and Jews as well, in that area. He sees two boats at the edge of the lake. Uh, people that were associated with Jesus were many. It wasn't just the 12. In fact, if you read the Gospels, at one point Jesus sends out 70. 70, 70 men went out. Jesus sent them out. We know Paul said that Jesus appeared to 500 of his disciples, uh, 500 people that were connected to Jesus at one point after his resurrection. 500. We don't know if Jesus had any more than that, but at least there were that many. Large crowds followed him. The 12 was simply a group of the crowd that was pressing on him. Uh, the 70 as well, but the 12 were definitely a group of them. Many followed Jesus. Uh, in fact, uh, many departed from Jesus. We read in John chapter 6, verse 66. I didn't know how that worked out, but uh, John 6, 66, it says, from that, tape, from that time forward, many departed from him. They turned away from Jesus. And they began to go the other way. And even Jesus asked Peter and the disciples, are you also going to leave? And Peter said, no, Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? Where else can we go, right? And uh, many followed Jesus to hear the word of God, to hear God's word being taught. That's what Jesus did. He, he spent time with his disciples, but he taught the crowd. He taught the people the word of God, and the common people heard him gladly, the Bible said. When you would hear Jesus, he taught with authority. He didn't teach like the other rabbis. He taught with authority, and people loved to hear Jesus. The prostitutes, the thieves, the, uh, the tax collectors would come, and they were glad to hear Jesus. The Pharisees were upset, and many of the scribes and Pharisees did not listen, but the crowds did. He gets on a boat, and Jesus uses this boat as a pulpit. He uses the boat as a pulpit. He began to teach from the boat. And it's interesting that in, in, in all through scriptures, you can make one key thing. Boats in the Bible appear to be like, uh, like church, like a church. Uh, Noah's Ark, it's almost like a picture of, uh, of, of rescue and comfort, obviously, from the wrath to come. And Jesus is always telling his disciples to get on a boat and see the miracles of the storm. Paul is shipwrecked. But before that, he tells the, 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 the crowd on the boat that if you stay on the boat, you will live. If you don't stay on the boat, you're going to perish. Boats tend to be a picture of fellowship and discipleship and, and and this is the place where now Jesus launches the disciples to be fishers of men from the boat Jesus began to teach all we need to have is Jesus to get in our boat and teach God's word and then we know we're a true true church that's that's how a church is known is by having the word of God by having Jesus being the teacher by having Jesus teaching from the boat he gets on the boat that belonged to Simon and he asked him to put a little from the land Today we're going we're gonna to talk about the background of what was going on in, in, in this passage, but we're also going to focus on Peter and his response. His response is very unusual. He's been, he'd been a fisherman for years. He's seen fish being caught all the time. Why is his response so passionately? Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinner. Why does he act that way? Every time you see something that doesn't make sense, there's something about that passage of scripture that is going to teach us something deeper about God's word that we can just read it and move along but why was his response like that I believe there's something that um, God wants to show us about the light of God 
there's something that God revealed to Peter. And this is why I call the message, Peter and us in the light of God. What happens when we are in the light of God? It's a very similar response that we have from Peter. It makes sense why Peter acted that way. But let's continue on the background. Jesus gets on a boat, belonged to Simon, and he tells them uh, to, to put it out a little bit. Uh, before that, he was teaching. He was just teaching God's word from, 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 the, from the boat. He was teaching the crowds. It was customary to sit down in those days. And Peter, of course, in verse 5, it tells us, Peter replied, we've worked so hard all night long and we've caught nothing. But at your request, at your word, I will let down my nets. Turn to John chapter 21. We'll read something very similar. This is, uh, it's almost like a replay of this after his resurrection. In John chapter 21, starting at verse 1, this is the third appearance of Jesus to his disciples. And just listen to the, to, to the account here. It almost sounds identical to what happened in Luke. It's not the same story, but it's a repeat. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Same place. Sea of Tiberias, Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, same place. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, those would be James and John, and two other of his disciples went together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to him. We're coming with you, they told him. And they went out into the boat that night, and they caught nothing. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, However, the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus called to them, Have you any fish? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul all that was in because of the large number of fish. Therefore, the disciple, the one that Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And Peter uh, it says, when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer garments around him, for it was, he was stripped of his outer garment and plunged into the sea. And he goes and he has this encounter with the Lord. And therefore, you see, that's the part where Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me three times? And, and there's this, this response, this relationship between Jesus and, and Peter. And finally, Peter's told to, uh, to feed my lamb, feed my sheep. He was going to be... Uh, uh, one of the main pillars of the, new ch of the, of the church in the, in the book of Acts. And he had this uh, breakfast with them. He broke the fast with them. And he had this wonderful encounter with Peter. But it's almost the same thing. Go back to Luke. It's almost the same thing as in Luke. They cast the net on one side. They've been toiling all night. Nothing happens. They cast the net where the Lord tells them to do it. All of a sudden, they cannot contain the amount of fish that are in the nets. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus tells them, go take the boat deeper. And if you know anything about fishing, and the fishermen of the day, like Peter, would have been counterintuitive. You don't fish deep in hot days. You fish cool near the shore at night. When it's cooler weather at night, near the shore, the fish tend to bite more. If you do it during the day, they don't bite as much. And so Peter says, well, Lord, we've caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down my nets. In John 21, Jesus tells them to put it on the other side. In Luke chapter 5, he tells them, just, just send it out. Go out into the, into the uh, put it out a little bit, and let down your nets. Verse 5, we cut nothing, but at your word, I will let down my nets. Now remember, Peter and Jesus had a relationship somewhat already. Uh, Peter and Andrew were both disciples of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had, uh, 
pointed out that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, many of the, of the things that John the Baptist said and did pointed to the fact that now his disciples were to follow Jesus now. Because he's now the one that his sandal strap, he's not even worthy to loosen. Peter has known about Jesus. In chapter 4, he goes to his house and heals his mother-in-law. But he hasn't been called yet to be a disciple. He hasn't been convinced of these things yet. Uh, in fact, later on in chapter 5, we, we see the names of all the disciples and we see the calling of them. But then uh, there are two disciples that are called like this, like Matthew. Matthew's at this toll booth and Jesus tells him, come and follow me. And he goes. Well, Matthew had been prepared, his heart had been prepared by the message of John the Baptist. That's why a lot of times you see these people responding to Jesus and you go, How did, what kind of response was that? That's so quick. I mean, that doesn't, does it work like that? Uh, John the Baptist had laid down the work. His message had softened the hearts, had made a straight way. So when Jesus came, people responded because they had already been convinced and convicted by the ministry of John. So Jesus is having this relationship with Peter. I will let down my nets at your word. And when they did this, verse 6, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to break. What a miracle. How many fish? We don't know. They called other boats to fill them because they began to sink. Now, Peter, has, you know, they, they've caught fish all along. This was an amazing miracle. It didn't require man. It didn't have anything to do with man. It's simply fish in the response of Peter. Here it goes. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his feet, or he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And some of them were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. These are James and John of the Gospel of John, and the letters, and of course the book of Revelation. They saw a great fish, and they were amazed. But why the response like that? Why? I mean, he's seen fish. This was a miracle, no doubt. But why the response in such a way? We'll get to that in a moment. This will be uh, the last part of the message. Don't be afraid, Jesus told them. From now on, you will be catching people. You will be fishers of men. Then they brought the boats to land, and they left everything and followed him. Depart from me. Depart from me, Jesus, uh, Peter said. Uh, this is almost the same word that it was used for the demoniac when they told Jesus to get away from them. This was some kind of response that it's almost when, when the demons know who Jesus is. Peter realized who Jesus was at this point. The light of God. We're going to talk about the light of God. The revelation of God. Something happened to Peter that revealed this answer, this sort of response. He falls at his knees, and Jesus, of course, comforts him, and he says, don't be afraid. I love this. Every time this something happens, you highlight, don't be afraid. If you highlight, don't be afraid throughout the Bible, you'll find out something that's it's the, it's the, most, the most mentioned command in the Bible, is do not be afraid. And it's a command. The Old Testament and New Testament, don't be afraid. Why shouldn't we be afraid? Because the Lord is with us. Joshua, don't be afraid. Moses, don't be afraid. The disciples, don't be afraid. Daniel, don't be afraid. Why? We tend to be afraid. We tend to be afraid of the calling of the Lord in our lives. We tend to be afraid of what God's doing in our lives. See, we pray, we pray, we pray. We ask the Lord, Lord, please use me, use me. Now he wants to use us. Instead of saying, hey, that's it. That's the answer to prayer. No, we go, oh, is this the Lord? I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. 
Jesus knows that, and he says to us, don't be afraid. The number one command in the Bible, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of men. You will be fishers of men. I'm a sinful man, but the Lord is going to make him a fisher of men. Come to the next slide, please. Fishers of men. Jesus uses the word in Greek. literally means to catch alive, to catch alive. Catch the fish and put him on the boat. You got to catch the fish. You got to go out and catch the fish. It's not to catch the fish, kill them, and eat them, which was the normal thinking of fishing. But in the fishers of men, Peter is told to go and make disciples. How? Jesus is now making Peter his disciple. You now go and make other disciples. That's the point of Peter being compared to a fisher of men. Peter, you're being, you, you've been captured by the Lord. You've been caught. You were dead in your sins. Now you're alive. Go and make other disciples. Go and catch other men and bring him onto the boat. Bring him onto the fellowship of Jesus. Bring him onto and have them be alive. They were dead. Now they're going to be alive. Catch alive. Bring them into the boat. Two things that Jesus tells us here about discipleship. Number one, they followed him and they left everything. They left everything. Now, some people have taken that to the point where they say, well, you're not a Christian unless you leave everything and follow, follow Jesus. So you had people that lived in communes and they had people that uh, sold everything and they left their families and they were following Jesus. We left everything and they lived in communes. That's not all that the Bible says. Some people did not do that. In fact, the Bible tells us that there was a, uh, someone who wanted to follow the Lord and the Lord told them, no, you stay here and you minister to people in your area. The Samaritan woman stayed in her area. There were people that followed Jesus. And yes, the disciples left everything. They did. It's, it's, it's the calling of the person. The disciples had to do that. There are some people that God has called them to do that. In fact, one example, it's, it's an amazing, uh, I love the story of Colonel William Booth. He was a Methodist preacher, but he had a very uh, affluent business. He had a really good business, but he left everything to start the Salvation Army because he realized the most important thing is to reach people for the gospel. He did that. He, he went out and he quit his job and he became a pastor. He became a salvation. He started the Salvation Army with his wife and they began to reach England. They began to reach the world for Christ. Had a great impact. Colonel William Booth. That was his story. Some people may not call, be called to do that, but we're all called to do one thing. It's priority. It's priority. What is the priority in your life? What is the priority in my life? You can tell a couple of ways what your priority is. Number one, your checkbook. You can always tell what your priorities are by what you spend your money on. Very simple. It doesn't have to be that complicated. What do you spend most of your money on? That's your priority. You know, I don't have to know you. you. Just, okay, I buy this, buy this, buy bank statements. You can tell where your priority is by how you spend your money. You can tell by your priority is by where you spend your time. What do you spend your time mostly doing? That's a priority. For Christians to follow Jesus, he is the priority. We're called to follow him and leave everything. Don't leave your family tomorrow because you're saying you're following Jesus. Uh, there have been people that have done that. There have actually people that have left their wives and husbands thinking, misguided, thinking that that's what God wanted them to do. Don't do that tomorrow. Don't do that. Leave everything in terms of priority. Leave everything a distant, second, third, whatever it may be. The calling of Jesus is the priority in your life. What has God called you to do? Well, he's called us to be his disciples. Here's the other priority. 
Here's the other thing that disciples are to do, is to follow him and be his disciple. That's what Peter was being called to do, is to be his disciple. Follow him, Jesus said. Follow me. Uh, this is a, this is a, it has to do with priority. Winning other people and become their disciple. We become Jesus' disciples. Winning other people. That's the, the, that's the two things that Jesus tells us to do in this, in this chapter. If you're his disciple, you're to prioritize him above everything else. Leave everything. Don't leave your wife tomorrow to follow the Lord. That's not what it's saying. Prioritize. Prioritize your time, your energy, your efforts. On what? On whom? Him. How? He'll show you. We can't legislate that. No, nobody should. It's how he wants you to do it. It's prioritizing him. Secondly is make disciples. You want to be his disciples? Prioritize him. Make other disciples. Then you'll know you're his disciple. Is it that simple? Yes. Is it so hard to put it to practice? Yes. Why? Because we need something that we cannot do for ourselves. This is what Peter got to. Peter realized something. He realized that the Lord was so holy and he was so sinful that God needed to rescue him and order him from, to do the work. There was no way that Peter could have done this unless he first encountered the living God in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. He encountered the living God and something happened to him. Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. How many of us would say that? How many of us would say that unless it was revealed by the Lord? 20 years ago, there's no way I would have said that. There's no way I would have even touched the Bible. There's no way I would have even come close to anything like that. Because I was full of myself and I thought the best thing in this world was me. That the best thing that this world ever had was me. And, and, my, and, and the world surrounded me and everything had to be... Well, that wasn't just me. There's a lot of people that think that way. There's a lot of people that are the sun, the moon, and the stars for everybody. You know, it's like it's a good thing they're here because now, now, now it could begin. Now the real thing can begin because they're here. Well, Peter realized something. In the light of God's word, in the light of who he is, he was a sinful man. And see, the question to you today as we finish our study, it went so fast. The clock is like my enemy. Um, somebody just, Joel, take it down. No, we're not leaving today. Um, it's like an enemy. It's like I start talking and it goes fast. Like for every minute, there's two minutes. I, it's, it's crazy how it looks from here. But turn real quick. Turn to, turn to John chapter 1, verse 5. I want to show you something really quick about the revelation that God wants to bring into our lives. What I mean by revelation, it's not some mystical thing, some smoky room thing. You walk through some beads and, and you feel like a revelation came on you. No, I'm talking about the revelation of the word of God. The revelation that God can only bring to you when you realize who he is and who you are. And it doesn't make us feel good, but it makes us holy. It doesn't make us feel good, but it makes us holy, which is what God desires from his people, to be holy as he is holy. But he first has to eradicate something in us, and that is the problem of self. And I know today itself is the most important thing. In fact, uh, if, if, if you walk into any college campuses or any high school campuses, the biggest thing people want is self-actualization. That's the goal of life today, self-actualization. Who really, who am I really? Well, you've got to find yourself, brother. You have to look deep within and find yourself and come up with some, you know, that you're great and you need self-affirmation. Oh, I'm going to self-affirmate myself every day. 
I'm great, I'm good, I'm this, I'm that. What else do you need? Oh, you need self-esteem. Okay, I'm gonna self-esteem myself today. And, 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 and all of this stuff becomes the biggest hindrance to living a holy life for the Lord. It becomes the biggest hindrance because who can say after self-affirmation that lo, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinner. Who can say that? If you already believe that you're the greatest thing since Wonder Bread, since Slice Bread, since, I mean, who can say that I'm a sinner? Well, let's read what John says regarding the light of the word, the light of Christ, the light of who he is. John chapter 1, verse 5, look what it says. Regarding Jesus, he said, The light that shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not, did not overcome it. Life was in him. And he, uh, verse 4, And the life was the light of men, that light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. Jesus is the light of men. He is the life of men. Life is in him, but he is the light of men. Jesus said in John 9, He is the light of the world. What is this light? What is he talking about? The light. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 13. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 13. Regarding the light. Everything exposed by the light is made clear. For what makes everything clear is light. Therefore I said, get up sleeper and rise up from the dead. And Christ the Messiah will shine on you. The light of God. It's the light of the, the light of the world. It's Jesus Christ. Another passage that says the light is the word of God. A light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path, right? It shines. It's a light. But what exposed what, what the light brings, it exposes what's there. It exposes two things. One, it exposes who really God is. He is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. Turn to Psalm 39, please. I'm sorry, Psalm 36. Psalm 36. This beautiful passage tucked away in the Psalms. Psalm 36, verse 9. Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is life's fountain. In your light, we see light. What? What does that mean? In your light, we see light. There is a light of who he is. It's... it's God is light. He dwells in unapproachable light, Paul says. Even angels can see him. Unapproachable light. His light reveals to us light. What do you mean light? I'm still confused. Light reveals what's, what's there. What's truly there. Paul says in the book of Corinthians that I don't even judge myself, he says. Uh, only God can judge me. Now, Tupac said that, but that's not what it's, what it's, talking, it's, talk, it's talking about. It's not saying I'm a sinner and I can do whatever I want and only God can deal with me. Paul was saying, look, I don't even know myself well enough to judge myself. Unless, the, unless God shows me who I really am, I can't even do that. Think about this. Some people, when they sin or they blow it, they're really hard on themselves. Oh, I can't believe I'm a sinner. I can't hey, man, that's okay. It's all right. Everybody blows a red light. Everybody doesn't do what they're supposed to do. Everybody stop. And they're really hard on themselves. Some people are just flipping about themselves. Well, you know, you can cuss somebody out. Oh, okay, that's who I am, and that's my personality. Too bad. That's too bad on him. And they're really flipping about things. Uh, depending on your character, depending on your personality, you could be either hard on yourself or you could be very easy on yourself. Which one's right? Only God can show you. 
Only God can share. That's what Paul says. I don't even judge myself because I don't even know really what's all that it's in me until God shows it to me that I can deal with it. Then I can deal with it. Don't judge anything until it's revealed. Why? Because God is going to, the light of God is going to reveal things about your life. And when it's revealed, then you got to deal with it. Peter had a tremendous revelation. What was it? Uh oh. Here is God in my boat. Here is God in all of his fullness. The Godhead, all of a sudden realizing that this is the light of men, and he's here, and I'm here. And he realized, uh oh, I am done. I am a sinner. Somebody else this happened to. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This happened to someone else too. It wasn't just Peter. In Isaiah chapter 6, something happened to this prophet. He saw something, and in the light of who, what he saw and what, ex, what he experienced, he realized he was in big trouble. He was in big trouble. In the year King Uzziah died, verse 1, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on his throne, and the robe of his temple filled, uh, the robe filled the temple. The robe filled the temple. The idea there in the Hebrews is that it continually filled the temple. It wasn't just a one-time thing. It continually filled the temple. The seraphims, these are angels, were standing above him. Each one had six wings. Two they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, and two they flew. And one called to one another. So they're talking to each other. They're calling out to each other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway, the posts shook at the sound of their voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. Talk about a, a revelation. What's this all about? What's going on? And then he says, woe. Woe in the scriptures has to do with judgment. The judgment. Woe is me. If he is this holy, I'm done. If God is this holy, and he is, what? How can I stand against, how can I even stand in his presence? How can I even stand in the presence of God? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Almost, it's the same idea of Peter. Lord, depart from me. You're too holy, Lord. You're too great. I can't stand in, in your presence. I'll die. And it is true. Moses wanted to see God's glory. God said, Moses, if I showed you all my glory, you will not live. What? Really? The idea of holy it's separated from his creation. God is not his creation. God is not in everything, as we've been told in, in this day and age. Uh, not, he's not in everything. He's not in every person. All those who believe and receive them, yes, Christ Jesus is in them. The Holy Spirit is in them, absolutely. But he's not in every person. He's outside of his creation. He's separated from his creation. And he's above all things. He's, he's above everything. He's above everything. He is high and mighty, high and lifted up. There's somebody greater than us. I know that's news for a lot of people, especially young people in college and high school. The, the idea that somebody's greater than them. What? That means I'm not important? Can you come to the fact there's somebody more important than you? How <sighs> dare. Pastor, you might not have anybody back next week. Well, that's all right. But there's somebody more important than you. No need to pick on teenagers or young people, but yeah. I mean, that happens, right? I mean, that could happen. Somebody could be greater than you. What? You mean I'm not that important? Yeah. 
Sorry, sweetie. There's somebody more important than you. Oh, man. Who is that? Who's this? Who can be so great? Well, it's God. God's greater than you. Really? Yeah. Priority. If he's greater than you, our affection, our love, our attention should be focused on him, not us. And so think of our society. Think of our generation. That you can tell somebody, look, there's somebody greater than you, somebody holier than you, somebody that's, that's worthy of all worship, all praise, and it's not you. And if you're going to follow this God, then you need to humble yourself. And you need to admit that you're a sinner and you need to follow him on the basis of his word. That's what is required. Ah, oh, no thanks. Because we're so in love with self. We're so encaptured by self and so enraptured by self because we haven't had really this revelation Let's keep going. The seraphim flew. These seraphims are awesome creatures. I mean, the Bible describes them as fire. I mean, this is not some, you know, angel soft baby flying around. And he's not like that. That's totally wrong. I mean, the Renaissance really destroyed our picture of, of the Bible. And thinking, oh, an angel and, you know, chubby babies and flying around. This is an amazing creature. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says they're flames of fire. Whoa. Ministering spirits. Amazing creatures. And these seraphims are flying six wings, two cover their faces, two cover their eyes, two, cover, two, two to fly. Why? Because they can't see the Lord. They, they, they're, they're, their eyes cannot see God. He dwells in unapproachable light to such extent that they, they can't even see. And they're, they're awesome creatures. I mean, these are not me. This is not like, you know, you know sinful man. These are angels. They can't see directly to the Lord. They can't see him. They, 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 they're, they're, his glory is so vast and amazing. And it says he takes the, uh, I'm sorry, woe is me because I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah realized all the words that I've said are going to come back and judge me. Didn't Jesus say that? Careful what you say. You'll be judged by every idle word. Oh, pastor, don't talk to me like that. Well, I don't know what revelation God has to give you. Sometimes the revelation comes like this, like at Isaiah. Sometimes it comes with the Sermon on the Mount. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Well, Pastor, it takes a great encouragement from Sermon on the Mount, then you haven't read it. And you haven't read it. Oh, it's so beautiful. No, it's so deadly. Pastor, how can you say that about God's Word? It's supposed to be like that. It's like a sword, isn't it? It's deadly. What do you mean deadly? It says in the Sermon on the Mount, without holiness, you will not see God. Thank you. Have a good day. See you next Sunday. See how you do with that. Try it. Without holiness, you will not see God. <gasps> All of us are done. Seriously. Pastor, but I really prayed a lot this week. I, I, I mean, I, I read like one verse. I mean, that, that's, that's got to count, right? Without holiness, you will not see God. If you look about a woman with lust, if you Think about laying down with her in a physical... If you just think about it, you're guilty of adultery. Next. If you get angry, you're guilty of murder. Very comforting, right? You're in danger of hellfire. What? I mean, I came on a Sunday. It's the first of June. The birds are chirping. The flowers are blooming. The sun is shining. And now you're telling danger of hellfire? Well, let's keep reading in the Revelation of Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm ruined. I'm done. Judgment is upon me because 
God is so holy. Whether it's a burning bush, whether it's a Sermon on the Mount, God has captured the attention of people all throughout times, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. You pray for light, the light of the Word of, of, the word of God to reveal this to you so you can see who God is and who you are. Peter came to that conclusion. And I live among the people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm done. I can't go on. And, and really, this is the point of, 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 of Peter. He, he's, he, the, something was revealed to Peter. The light went on. Who this man is. I'm such a sinful man. And is that our response today? Isaiah sees the Lord. Isaiah is undone. My eyes have seen. But look what happens. One of the seraphims flew, took my, uh, flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal. He took coal that he had taken from the altar in heaven with tongues, and he touched my mouth, and it was said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. He takes the coal, takes some tongues, takes the coal from the altar, and puts it on his lips, and now he says, Look, your lips are clean, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. What does that even mean? My sin? What are you talking about? Sin, isn't he? Isaiah realized that the Lord is so holy and he's so sinful. There's a big problem. There's a big problem in his life, but he didn't know it until it was revealed. Remember, Paul says, I can't even judge myself until God shows to me. I might be, I might be really easy on me because I think I'm pretty good. But when God shows you who you are, then you realize, oh boy, I have to do something about this. But the something is not to run away. It's not to say, oh man, I'm so sinful. Run! Run from God! That's what Adam and Eve did, right? Run from God. They hide themselves. Why? When this comes on your, uh, your life, when, when you realize who God is and who you really are, stay there. Just stay there. Don't run. Peter, the boat. Jesus, depart from me. I'm a sinner. Jesus didn't leave. Peter didn't run away. He stayed there. Isaiah, whoa, it's me. I'm done. Don't move. God is going to apply something to you that you cannot do for yourself. What is it? He takes the coal from the altar. What's the altar? In the Old Testament, was the place where the sacrifice was placed. In the New Testament, there's only one sacrifice. There's one acceptable sacrifice. There's only one. What is that? The death of Jesus. The life of Jesus on the cross is the altar of the New Testament. That's it. One acceptable sacrifice. The one acceptable sacrifice. The one thing God will require of you and accept. It's not your altar and it's not your sacrifices. It's the sacrifice. And he's applied the coal. It's applied to his lips. Now it says, he touched my mouth and it said, now your, your lips are, uh, has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. I think it's like the gospel. That's what I think. It's the gospel. It's this altar. It's the cross. And it touches your mouth. Romans 10 if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's, it touches your lips. Now your, your, your wickedness is removed. Your sin is atoned for. Now you're clean. How? The cross. The altar. Don't move. Realize you're a sinner. Realize the damage that has been done. But don't run away. God still loves you, man. God still wants to do something in your life. Apply the cross. Enter the cross. Touch your lips. Clean. Peter, 
I'm going to make you fishers of men. Then I heard a voice saying, who should I send? Who would go for us? I said, here I am. Send me. Isaiah sent to a people that are very difficult to receive those words. He says, he replied, go, I say to these people, keep listening, but they don't understand. They keep looking, but they do not perceive. Their minds of these people are deaf in their ears and blind to their eyes. Isaiah, you go to them. Now that you're clean, now you can go. What does this mean? It, it literally means, guys, that, that we need a revelation from the Lord of who he really is and who God really is and who Jesus truly is. He's holy. He's awesome. He's, he, he's so holy that we can't even attempt to reach on our own efforts. We need to stand there. We need to have the cross applied to our lives. But now that it's been applied to our lives, if we've reached some kind of status now, oh, Pastor, I'm so glad that this happened to me 16 years. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Praise God. But it doesn't end there because the light is going to reveal more things. It never stops. 16 years ago, I thought, man, I, I, I messed up a few times. I, I, can, I need the gospel. I need the Lord. And it was truly, it was real. Five years later, I realized, oh, man, I'm really bad. I'm really sinful. I'm really, I can't believe he saved me. You know, 10 years later, oh my goodness, I can't believe he still loves me. I can't believe I'm such a screw up. I can't believe I mess up so many times and he still loves me and he wants to use me. But that light, that revelation comes to the fact that now I have to, there's something in my heart that needs to change. I can't just remain the same. I have, there's got to be a change. Apply the coal. Apply the cross. Apply those things to your life. There's a change, but it keeps growing. We keep growing. The light, it keeps being revealed. You can only grow based on the light and the revelation you have. You can't grow beyond what you don't know. I mean, beyond what you know. If you don't know, you can't grow. But God has to reveal that to you. As you open, your, you open the scriptures and you're understanding more of who Jesus is, then you realize, man... I'm more of a sinner today, in your mind, in my mind, than I was 16 years ago. Well, it's the same. I'm still sinful. But I am more aware of it now. I realize how sinful I was. Or I am. Well, which one is it? Both. Because the closer I get to his light, then I realize, oh man, I'm more sinful. But what do I do? Run away? No, I cling on to him more because he's the only one that can save me. I cling on to this high priest that Hebrews tells me about that understands my weaknesses and intercedes for me. I cling on to him. I don't turn away. I cling on to him, but I, I'm realizing more how sinful I am, how wretched I am, how unloving I could be, how Peter-like. I am, many times. I like what it says in Timothy. Paul says, I am the chief of sinners, right? Uh, Paul wasn't tabulating his sins and passing around a calculator and saying, how many sins you have? And, you know, Brad will probably beat everybody. And, you know, and you go around and pass it around, seeing sin, tabulating sin. Uh, no, he's not saying that. Um, what he's saying is, who's the worst sinner you know? It's not Brad, right? It's not, you know, who's the worst sinner you know? You, the guy in the mirror. The worst sinner you know is you. The worst sinner I know is me. 
I know me. I know my wanderings. I know my inconsistencies. I know me. And I get frustrated with me. And so I can tell you, today in this place, I am the worst sinner. Because I know me very well. And I know what I'm capable of. And I know what I've done. But God has mercy on us. He reveals to us these things so that we can draw close to him. What do you do when you find yourself in that light? Don't leave. Apply the cross. Daily? Yes, daily. John Bunyan used to say, I read, you know John Bunyan, the guy who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress? Amazing, wonderful book. He says, I have to repent of my repentance. Really? What does that mean? He said he would repent. He lived such a, I mean, he was in jail for the Lord. I mean, he did to serve the Lord, walk with Christ. He said, I would repent of my sins, and then I would turn around and totally violate everything I just repented of. And I had to repent because I repented falsely. And, he, and you think, that guy needs a antidepressants or something. I don't know. He doesn't seem right. And can you get him in front of a shrink? No, these guys understood something. I'll read some of the quotes. These guys understood something. They understood in the light of Jesus, they were done. And they had to apply the cross to their lives daily. They realized who Jesus was. They realized what they have done. They realized who they are. And they came to that revelation because the light of the Lord gave them that understanding. And now they had to change. Now they had to draw close to the Lord. And they had to hang on to the high priest because that could not be done on their own. Can we get to that point? Turn to Romans 3. I promise we're just about done. Then again, I... Somebody always reminds me, you promised 15 minutes ago. I promise we're almost done. When that almost is, nobody knows. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 tells us something about ourselves and something about the Lord that is, it just fascinates me. It's, it's just an amazing thing. In, in, in just three verses, Paul tells us two things that are true. Simultaneously true. He says, but now, apart from God's law, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. Verse 21, chapter 3. That is, God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, then there's no distinctions. There's no difference. Oh, praise the Lord. It says that Christ's righteousness is revealed through faith in Jesus. I have faith in Jesus. I can trust him that God's righteousness is applied to me. Verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh boy. All have sinned. I put it this way. I have um, 16 years ago or so, I accepted the Lord. Justified by the Lord. That day, the Lord made me a new creation. But today, and I continually do, fall short of the glory of God. Right now, I'm falling short of the glory of God. Why? Because I'm a sinful man. I, I continue to... I thought you said you were made right. I thought you said, Pastor, you're confusing. You just justified. What? You, yes, I was justified, but I'm still a sinner. News to everybody. But it's news to... It needs to be news to my heart every day. I'm still falling short. But look what verse 24 says. They were justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is Christ Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. Are there two realities living at the same time? Yep. We are freely justified by his grace, by the Lord. 
At the same time, we're sinners. At the same time, we're justified. Which one is it? Both. God sees it from heaven. Justified. The Lord has applied that to our lives. We're on the earth. Oh, man, Lord, I just messed up again. I was so unloving. I was so hypocritical. How can I live with myself? Falling short of the glory of God. And the more I live as a Christian, the more I realize how distant that gap was. I thought the gap was like this big at one point. And I got closer to the Lord, and it becomes wide. It's counterintuitive, isn't it? We think, hey, man, I'm approaching the Lord. I'm walking in him. Man, I don't do those things I used to do. But now the sins of the heart are being revealed. And Paul said that the sins, the secret sins will be revealed? Oh, man. It's not the outward things that I have a problem with now. It's now it's things of the heart. It's the attitude. It's the bitterness. Things that didn't bother me. Six, I mean, I had enough problems just dealing with the surface stuff. Now God is dealing with the iniquity in the heart. Now God wants to get rid of that. I didn't even know I had that. How do you know you had that? God showed it to me. There's no way I would have known. My heart's deceitful. I could have said, hey, you're doing pretty good, Marco. Right there next to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father. There's you right there. Doing pretty good. Man. But now, oh, man. If I were to get in line, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the worst sinner here. Why? I... They came to know. And when you come to know, you can't just fake it anymore. Why? Because the revelation of the Lord came to you. Now you're like, now you're troubled. Oh, man. What's wrong, brother? I realize I'm such a sinner. Praise the Lord for that, right? What do you mean? Is it praise? Now you can hang on to Jesus more. See, if you didn't think you were that big of a sinner, you wouldn't even pray. You probably wouldn't hang on to Jesus that much, only on Sundays. But now you realize that it's every day he makes intercession for me. Do you know Jesus is justifying me and sanctifying me every day, every minute of my life? Pastor, am I that such a sinner? Yeah, so am I. Are you saying that we need Jesus like Monday nights? Yeah, Tuesday morning. Yeah, Saturday night. Yep. Man, woe is me. Do I have to do any more? Once I re- achieve that status, do I have to keep going? Yeah. Let me tell you what John Bunyan wrote, prolific author. I mean, amazing, Pilgrim's Progress. Selling, highest selling book besides the Bible in, 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 in Christian history. He says this, after my previous repentance, there is again one thing which makes me sad. That is, I mostly severely examine myself, the best thing that I'm doing now, in it I discover sins. Basically he says, after I repented, then I start looking at myself and I realize there's more sin. I discover sins, new sins, mingled with the best thing I do. Hey, I just helped that old lady out. Hey, I just helped that thing. But there were some mingled things in there with sin. You know, somebody donates something. You know, I'm going to donate a million dollars. Just name the building after me, make a statue of me in the front, and it's all good, right? Nice thing, you gave money to a good foundation, but now you want your name on the plaque and on the building and a statue of yourself outside. The best things I do are mingled with sins. Therefore, I cannot help but conclude that no matter how proud of myself and how idealistic I I was concerning myself and my work, even in my former living were without blemish, yet the sins that I commit in a day are enough to send me to hell. In such deep feelings of sins, I cried out, unless he's a great savior, he surely cannot save such a great sinner. Think about that. Unless he's a great savior, 
You can't save a great sinner like me. Jesus has to be a great savior because I'm such a big sinner. Jesus has to be the light of the world. Otherwise, I couldn't see. Jesus has to be such an awesome God because I'm a, such an awesome failure. Pastor, but that's not self-affirmation. I know, but that's the truth. And see, so I, I have to deal with the truth. Because if I lied myself, I might, I might lie myself all the way to hell. But the truth doesn't ever tell, it doesn't deviate. The guy who wrote Rock of Ages, I didn't know they were singing this song today, but the guy who wrote the Rock of Ages, Augustus, how do you pronounce his last name? Topolady. Augustus Montek Topolady. We'll leave it there. The guy who wrote Rock of Ages, he said, that song, um, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, one who is pitiful in this world, there's no one more pitiful in the world, this, and, sorry again, this, this is old English, <laughs> there's no one more pitiful in the world than me. I am nothing, and in my flesh there's no good thing. How surprising that I see myself so high. The best work that I've done of myself, it only qualifies me to be condemned. <laughs> It's that the best thing I do only qualifies me for judgment. Man, that guy needs Prozac or something. I mean, come on, he's a Christian and he thinks himself that way? Don't put him in a mental institution yet. Listen to what he says. He says, how surprising that I feel myself so high. Yet, I realize the best thing I've done only qualifies me to be judged by God. <laughs> you know what's interesting? I came to one thing. It came to me like a rock hit me in the head. It had to be the Lord because it hurt. Um, it, it, God showed me that I only had to repent of my bad works. There was plenty of them. But I had to repent of my good works. Ooh, what does that mean? It means that I can't bring anything to God that's of me to qualify me to be saved. I had to repent of my good works, the things that I was so proud of. Look, God, look what I've done. Hey, man, I, I'm so good, man. God had to be repented. The hard thing about that, it was harder to repent of the good works than the bad works. It was easier to say, you know what, I'm going to just, not, I'm, not, I'm going to stop, you know, I'm going to stop sleeping around. I'm going to stop doing that. It was harder to repent for the things that I thought were good. But that thing had to be repented too. Because no good thing will stand before the Lord. I can't bring that to the Lord. I can't be justified in the flesh. David Brenner. David Brenner? Awesome missionary. He wore himself out ministering to Native American Indians. He was such a, such a wonderful missionary. He said this of himself. Oh, the filth within me. Oh, the shame, the sin, the pride, the selfishness, the bitterness, the hypocrisy, the ignorance, and the lack of love. It covers all my gentleness and peace and hinders my interest in sharing Christ. This is a man who gave himself completely to the work of God. I mean, he wasn't like hanging out in Maui just like, you know, drinking and doing nothing. He was a man that was in the mission field. And he realized all my selfishness, my bitterness, my pride, my shame, all those things, all it does is cover the gentleness that God wants to have in my life. And it hinders me from sharing the gospel. Hudson Taylor uh, I don't have a quote from Hudson Taylor, but Hudson Taylor, wonderful missionary to China. It was said of, him, of, 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 of uh, Hudson Taylor, every time he prayed, he always repented of his sins. He always confessed and repented his sins. I'm like, this is Hudson Taylor. Come on, what does he have to repent of? He's out there serving the Lord in China. Well, I'm out here doing nothing. 
And yet he said of himself, I have to repent of my sins daily. I'll read this to you and we're done. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 verse 21. Uh, verse 19 it says this. This then is the judgment that light has come into the world and people have loved agape, darkness rather than light because the deeds were evil. For everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. If we love the truth, we have no problem coming to the light. We want God to expose some of that. It may be hurtful. It may be, oh, I can't believe I'm dealing with this in my life again. But God has shown you that light. God has shown you the truth. God has shown you who you are. Apply the cross. Change by turning to him. The coming of Jesus is to the reveals the hearts of men. That's what is going to happen. What do people think about God? What's the condition of people's hearts? All those things are shown by the light. And it's the light of God. It's the light of Jesus. The world hates the light because their deeds will be exposed. That's what people run away from the light. People don't want to let go of themselves. They see themselves, their reputation, and all those things. They don't want to let go. So when we come to the light, we're willing to be known. And that's okay. Are you willing to be known today who you are in the light of God's word? If God has shown you something, are you willing to be known? See, that's important. Close your Bibles. We're done. We're going to pray. That's important. Am I willing to be known? Am I willing to apply the light of God's word, the revelation that God has given us? Am I willing to apply it to show that I'm really who I am? I'll sinner that needs salvation, a sinner that needs the Lord to cleanse me daily, minute by minute. Pastor, why do you have to live like that? Because I'm such a sinner. You understand the point? You're too hard on yourself. No, sometimes I'm too easy on myself. And until God shows me that light, then I can see clearly. Now I can know, oh yes, those areas, those hidden things, those blind spots that I had, now they're revealed. And I run to the light because I want more of that to be revealed because I don't want those things in my life. See, I could embrace them and say, hey, man, it's me, it's all right, it's just who I am, that's it. But God doesn't want us to do that. The Lord wants to shine that light on it and deal with it. How? The cross. How? Turning to him, confessing to him, turning from that sin. And then next week will be something different. Next week will be something different. That's what Peter says, Lord, depart from me. You don't know who I am. Well, God knew who he was. But Peter just came to realize who he really was. Oh, if I really knew who I was, if I really knew who I was, I wonder if I would like myself. If I really knew who I was in the light of God's word, I would run away from me. But I can't because it's, it's within me. Oh, I need a savior. I need somebody who come and cleanse my sins. I need somebody who come and touch my lips. I need somebody who come and cleanse my mind and my heart. And I can't do it. You can't do it. Nobody could do it. It's the great Savior. It's Jesus. I run to him as a great high priest. I cling to him. Jesus, please, save me from myself. And he will do that.
But what's the, what's the point of Peter? What was the, Jesus' response? Oh, Peter, I know you're messed up, man. Too bad. I just, you just got to deal with it. Live your life like that. No, what does he tell him? Now become fisher of men. Isaiah, big problem. Go to a people. Who will I send? Isaiah says, send me! Send me! Because now I could see who I am. See, God wants to use us. But he wants to show you so he can use you. See, these men that I quoted, they were used by God. These guys preached the gospel. They were out there sharing Christ and giving their lives away. And yet they realized, I'm such a sinner. I think that's what fueled them in many cases. I think, I think that's what fuels us, isn't it? When we realize that he's such a great God, he's such a merciful, forgiving God, that we can tell people about it, that no matter how sinful, I mean, nobody's as bad as me. And if he can forgive me, I'm sure the guy down the street can be forgiven. I got to run. I got to go to him. Why? Because he's such a great God, and he can forgive me. He can forgive anybody. And that's the beauty of the gospel, that he'll take sinners like me, like you, and change them and reveal to them and put the light of God's word in every single moment. Oh, man. It's good to live like that. I don't want to live like that. Is it because your deeds are going to be exposed? I hope not. But everybody who loves the truth is in that light so that it comes from the Lord and encompasses who God is. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your truth. We ask you for your grace, Lord God. We love you, Lord. We ask you for your blessing upon our fellowship and our church. And we ask you, Lord God, that you would reveal these things to us in such a great way, Lord, that we will not be ashamed. We will stand in your presence, Lord, without shame, because we have dealt with it, Lord. We have dealt with the light of what you've shown us, Lord, today. I pray, Father, for your great grace upon us today. Thank you, Lord, that you redeem us from every lawless deed. We bless you, Lord. We honor you, Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that you brought to us. Lord, as much as it hurts the self, as much as it hurts the ego, Lord, keep showing us, Lord, who you are and who we are so that we would run to you and cling to you, Lord. Send us out, Lord. Make us disciple makers. Make us fishers of men. Send us out, Lord. Give us a heart that would say, like Isaiah, send me. Because well, that's what you really want. You want your disciples to be fishers of men. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.